All right, so as you can tell, this is a dark, very special Darker Days radio episode where me and Chig are in the same room. We're Am in I the same state, the same, the state? same city, and in fact, the same room. Yeah, we're at my very small kitchen table here, uh, recording a quick little episode on uh, primarily Howard Phillips Lovecraft and some of his, some of his inspiration here for uh, World of Darkness Gaming and Chronicles of Darkness as well. But before we get to that, Chig, before we get to that. Uh, You've been going around to some uh, cool game stores here in the Boston area, so could you give me a review of uh, some of my favorite places based on your Texan sensibilities? Well, are there any that you would specifically like to know about? Because I've been to three or four. Oh, let's hit them all. Let's hit them all. I mean, there's so many good ones. You know, the Hobby Bunker. What about the Hobby Bunker? Um, the Hobby Hole was very small. What? Um, yeah. It's I... huge. What are you talking about? No. They have all this table space? You could fit the entire place in like my garage it when is, you no way there's tons of stuff there chig no there's like four shelves and i have more on my four shelves but than i can I buy all my titanic models there and your heart will go on my enamel tesco paints you can absolutely get all that that you want but uh for gaming not so much mm. not so much um yeah um, the comic store that I went to, Comic Palooza, Comicopia, Comicopia, yeah, yeah, that one. one, yeah, that was a good store. Okay, that was a nice store. Yeah, it's good. Also, um, also in a basement, literally in a basement. Yep. Yes, yes. Um, the hobby bunker is also in a basement. The hobby bunker, the hobby hole was also in a basement. Yeah, we don't really have basements in Texas, so that was a new experience for me. Hmm. But yeah, they they left some things to be desired like selection and organization and it's the biggest selection in boston it's the biggest selection on that block i <laughs> yeah. don't doubt but that doesn't make it a big selection so jeez oh, this is harsh this is harsh all right okay i'm, okay. I'm difficult what about what about pandemonium books and games pandemonium very popular books and games was i understand why it's very popular um, yeah. The book selection, while small, was um, diverse. It was um, maybe not wide, but it was very deep. There mm, were authors... Deep into science fiction. Authors that I was familiar with, authors that I'd never heard of, and a very good selection for the uh, authors that they had. But again, not a huge selection. Oh my gosh. Um, also, their gaming section downstairs, also in a basement. Also in a basement. Um, there's a theme here, guys. Yeah. Um, very, very small. But you can buy all your, like, your cool used stuff there? They have like an entire bookshelf of Cthulhu-themed things? They do, in fact, have a bookshelf of Cthuliana. That is yeah. true. But... Yeah. So, actually, Pandemonium is pretty cool because sometimes they get like really good used selections in. Like One time I walked in and they, had, they were selling used copies of like all of Dragon Magazine. Pretty much the entire thing, and I picked up a couple of copies. Well, that's pretty neat. But if you're relying on your fellow hobbyists to get out of the hobby before your uh, selection goes up, then you're kind of eating they your own new tail. stuff too. Chick, come on, they you saw do. they've got their D and D fifth edition, and they had a, a shrine to the fifth edition, and <laughs> a a smaller shrine to the latest edition of Shadowrun, whichever edition that might be. I think it's up to seventeen now. I don't know. I stopped paying attention after third. Seventeen point five. 17.5. Uh, that's the rules light edition, so it's only 600 pages for the rule book. <laughs> um, but yeah, not a not a huge selection on role-playing games. Uh, I counted maybe five shelves. They were floor-to-ceiling shelves, but they were only mm. seven-foot yeah. ceilings, so, you know, not that great. 
and three foot wide. So maybe 21 linear Listen, feet. Listen, when that, when that basement was built, humans were a lot smaller. In the 1920s, when this yep. was a new store, I get it. It's a very old town. Probably before the 1920s, now that I think about it. But whatever. Uh, I'm just used to big, giant, sprawling gaming stores oh, that gosh. share, uh, you know, floor space with a comic book store because that's how we do it in texas it's so, you're, you're neither neither nor you're all of the above um and i got super spoiled by the fact that i go to stores that are the size of a supermarket up here and they're chock full of comics and games and board games and hobby stuff and this that and the other so clearly based on that you weren't clearly a fan of the complete strategist which is the smallest one you went to the smallest one i went to but i actually enjoyed it it wasn't very well organized. I'll, I'll tell you that right off the top, off the bat. Really? Okay. But um, I enjoyed going there, possibly because it wasn't in a basement and I didn't feel like I was going to be crushed <laughs> by a building any any second now. Um, but also uh, because I enjoyed their um, eclectic collection. Mm. They did. They do have a wide selection, a lot of uh, more rare books and mm-hmm. kind of like off the beaten path indie RPGs as well. Right. Everybody so. has Fifth Edition. Everybody has Shadowrun. Everybody has Rifts. But not everybody has some of the smaller, more independent games. Yeah. This was the yeah. only store that I went to that I saw a copy of Unknown Armies uh, Third Edition for instance. Two copies. Two copies. Yeah, I was tempted. Next time you got to pick that up. Yeah, I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Do it. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. So that's uh, Chig's review of Boston Game Stores. I agree, like, uh, with 20% of what he said, but that's just me and my own lived experiences. I'm biased. Indeed. So I think with that, let's move on to some World of Darkness news. All right, Chig. Huge news. The biggest news. Shadow and Essence is back. Shadow and Essence, one of the premier World of Darkness discussion uh, forum boards, is back from the ashes. Yeah. It was always a great uh, website and message board for talking about World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, especially Changeling the Dreaming back in the day. Yeah. Um, I was a moderator on the Changeling board back in the day. You were? You didn't know that? Yeah. Um, And, yeah. It was ridiculously busy. Yeah, definitely. So we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, it's a pretty cool website because myself, Chig, Chris, and Matt were all like users there, and we used to like talk all the time. So you can go back, look through the archives, and see what kind of cool people we were. If you I want think to. that might have been the first time that you and I interacted. Was that is true? Yeah. And same thing with Chris and Matt. No, I knew Matt from um, I want to say Ex Libris Nocturnus. Okay, well, I, I know I knew Chris from there. Oh, okay. Nice, nice, nice. But maybe that was from this, and I forget. It's been a while. Yeah, this was this was 13 years ago that Shadow and Essence started up. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely cool stuff. Back when I was a lad. Yeah. No. I was a minor. I was under 18 when that started. I was not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, and let's jump on over and uh, talk about White Wolf a little bit, because they've been uh, a little busy lately since we last talked about them. Of course, we have the upcoming Gen Con Vampire Fifth Edition playtest that's coming up. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. And um, 
hopefully we'll get some more uh, playtest material out of that. And uh, we definitely here at Dark Days want to hear and know if uh, the listeners will be interested in hearing any other playtests or anything like that or reviews of the material. Because if it's something you want, we'll be sure to do it. But if you're not interested and want us to focus on other things, let us know. We'd uh, definitely appreciate that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a lot of fun recording the uh, the playtests that we did. And if you guys want to hear us do some more playtesting, say the word. Yeah, yeah. Could be good. And, of course, they've also got the Storyteller's Vault coming out later this month in August. So this is going to be a website where you can sell your own World of Darkness material. And uh, you make a little bit. White Wolf makes a little bit. It's similar to the DM's Guild for uh, for Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, not Vampire Fifth Edition, uh, which is uh, powered by uh, Drive Through RPG. This will also be powered by Drive Through RPG, as I'm led to believe. So, I was talking to Chig, and we were eating lunch about maybe we could do something in the future. We'll think about it. Maybe something super frequency themed could be cool. Again, listeners, let us know if you're interested, because uh, we need to figure out how to, you know. Utilize our resources. We need to here. monetize this, guys. No, we don't. We've got to start making money off of our podcast. No, we don't. No, we, we don't. We, we don't. don't. But if you guys would like us to start putting stuff up there, or if you're interested in it, or if you have any comments on it at all, feel free to mention it. Mm-hmm. We're listening. And of course, following that, there's going to be a new World of Darkness community site, which is going to be coming out and beta tested later this month. And it's going to be uh, for managing your chronicles, your troops, and your LARP events. And that sort of thing, and a uh, sort of a social media slash archival tool in many ways. So we'll see how that is, and uh, hopefully it's good. I've got to say, Mike, I'm just not that interested in this particular uh, kind of a website personally. Hmm. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who are. So if you're one of them, there you go. Cool, cool, cool. And then, of course, Chig, let's talk about our friends over at Onyx Path. They've got a lot of good stuff coming on, uh, especially M20, Book of Secrets, that just came out for Mage the Ascension. Just dropped. I ordered my print copy. It'll be waiting for me when I get back to Texas. Very good, very good. I've not really looked into it, but I'm led to believe that has updated rules and setting materials. So it should In be fact, fun. it does. And then we also got Beast Building a Legend, which is a book that tells you how to storytell Beast the Primordial. Sounds good to me. Got a tough road to hoe for it, I hear. <laughs> but uh, that's fine. Um, we'll let Matt read that one. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're not going to really talk about beasts on the show. <laughs> it's okay. It's not our cup of tea. We'll we'll just leave it at that. And then we've also got By Night Studios, which has released a new book, which is the Mind's Eye Theater Vampire Immersion Secret Source Book, which contains multiple essays uh, explaining and giving you tips and tricks for immersing your players into the whole LARP experience. So if you want to fall down the LARP hole, here's your whole LARP experience. Indeed. And finally, Jake, a little something new. We're going to talk about cyanide. Are my lips blue? No. But cyanide is a uh, French uh, developer that is making the new Werewolf the Apocalypse video game, which is coming out. Did a little research on it for this episode, and uh, here is the, uh, the skinny on it for you. So first off, it's going to be an action RPG set in modern times. Makes sense for a werewolf game, right? Sounds legit. Uh, you're going to turn to a werewolf. Also a good, <laughs> good idea for the game. I and was really hoping their first werewolf game would have me turn into a Korax, but, you know... Maybe there'll be a side quest. DLC. There you go. Yep, DLC Were-Raven is pretty DLC. big this year. Yeah, they are. And uh, it's going to have a linear story with some minor uh, branches and side quests, but it's going to be focused on uh, telling an epic story uh, and focusing on that. And it's expected to have about 15 hours of gameplay if you just do the uh, the main missions. But 
if you want to do the side quests and that sort of thing, additional gameplay. Sure, you know? pump it up there. Finally, their innovative mechanic is rage management. So just to quote them, they want players to, quote, be aware of the consequences of going to Frenzy, a special state that the player will have to deal with, uh, such as during combat, where you will lose helpful information, or in dialogue, where you can lose control of a conversation. Hmm. Okay. So I guess people can piss you off when you're talking to them. That might affect your, uh, your frenzy meter, if you will. And also in combat... I think you know, it's a frenzometer, is how that's pronounced. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're, copyright, Sand Trigger. 2017. 2017. OC, do not steal. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, also just like having it occur in combat and forcing you into the situation where you can't see your health and you're just like focused on... Pretty much sure. just like getting out of that situation seems pretty thematic. Tearing stuff down. Makes yeah. perfect sense. So seems like they got some good ideas there, so I'll be excited to see how that develops. And uh, do you have any Darker Days news or anything like that? Do I have any Darker Days news? Yeah, I don't think um, I have any Darker Days news. No. We're still awesome. The end. Great. Uh, we should talk about some of our friendly sister shows here in the Yapodosphere, because there's been some great stuff coming out, of course, from Midnight Express. Uh, Adrian over there, good friend of ours, uh, just put out a brand new LARP-themed episode. I was listening to that as I drove over to uh, your place. Uh, I have not finished it, but uh, the 63% of the episode that I've listened to so far has been pretty great. Awesome. Good to hear. Good to hear. And of course, Shadow Sworn Radio Hour is always a good time, and they just released an episode about how to collect Vampire the Masquerade. They did. Um, it was a very interesting episode. Um, I wasn't yelling at the podcast the entire time, but... Um, Ooh, you disagreed with them. There interesting. Was, they made some interesting decisions that I didn't agree with They're very entirely. focused on Vampire 2nd Edition. They were very focused Are you, on 2nd Edition. Do you concur edition. with that, Chig? Not especially. Mm, no, I, I think that the uh, the peak of Vampire was revised. Revised, I think it's revised with a lot of second edition source books. Um, second edition had some great source books. Ghoul's Fatal Addiction. Sure. But, um, the Dirty revised... Secrets of the Black Hand. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got to get Dirty Secrets yeah. of the Black Hand. That, yeah. that is the best, the One best the expansion I'm for so, any game. I'm so ever. glad that it got three print runs. Three <laughs> yeah. 300,000 copies. Yep. Yeah. Everybody needs at least two. Um,. But, yeah, to get back on topic, um, yeah, I definitely preferred the revised uh, revised setting. But, yeah, you're you're right. The uh, second edition source books were probably superior. Yeah. No, it's more just, there's also great revised source books. It's just that by the time you got to Havens of the Damned in, like, yeah. 2002, you're The Gilded like, Cage. And Gilded Cage is a good one. It's, a, it's not a bad one. But Midnight Siege is also it very covers, good. It covers some territories that had been covered previously. They were kind of going back over them. So yeah, certainly, cool. certainly. But then we have V20, which is all pretty much retreading water. 100%. Much. But doing a good job of it and really coalescing a lot of uh, cool ideas and concepts and new mechanics as well. However, um, it's been, it had been a while since I read the uh, V20 book, and I slipped into it the other day. Not too heavy on setting material. No, very slim. Very light. So it... Yep. I, I and I noticed this because I was reading uh, Changeling Twenty as well. It presupposes that if you have this book, you have a previous version of the game and you know the Certainly. setting fairly well. Yep, yep. Which I hadn't realized until someone pointed that out to me. Yeah, so. definitely, definitely. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, what was that podcast? Walking in Arcadia. Mm, mm-hmm. 
I hope so. Yes, yeah, Walking yeah. Away from Arcadia. Sorry. Great uh, great new podcast covering Changeling the Dreaming. Yep. And we'll put links in the show notes to all those great shows, because you should definitely check them out. And with that, we're going to move on over to a very special secret frequency. We talk about H.P. Lovecraft. It's under the stairs. Tonight on a very special Darker Days Radio, Mike and Chig discuss H.P. Lovecraft. So, Chig, um, <laughs> do you like uh, you like H.P. Lovecraft? Um, I hope so, because we decided to do this episode. I kind of do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I first came across H.P. Lovecraft um, actually in an episode of The Real Ghostbusters. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, that came out when I was like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. The Collect Call the of Collect Cthulhu. The Collect Call of Cthulhu. Um, and I was like, well, that's super neat. Um, nineteen eighty-seven, I guess. Anyway, so I was seven. Um, I was negative one. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm old. It's okay. Um, so yeah, um, I've years later I found out that it wasn't just something that they made up for the show by uh, host favorite uh, uh, screenwriter. Screenwriter, thank you, J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, huge fan, huge fan. Um, but it was in fact uh, a whole thing that existed out in the world. So, yeah, I went and hunted down H.P. Lovecraft and read all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I've been a fan since, not since 1987, but since I, you know, rediscovered him when I was in high school. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I recall when the New World of Darkness core book came out in 2004, all these people kept talking about, like, it's so Lovecraftian, it's so epic, it's so great, it's so cool. And I was like, no, oh, better check out this Lovecraft chap. I've seen him in the uh, bookstore. Maybe I should give it a read. And that's what I did. We'll be talking about a couple of his short stories here and how they can inspire your World of Darkness games. Because um, there's a lot of good ideas that you can use in there in mind. Not just for like, oh, this is like a cool occult object or uh, idea that you can bring into your game, but also just the story structure in a lot of ways can be very interesting and different than what you would normally expect uh, in a role-playing game. Well, to be fair, Lovecraft wasn't writing role-playing game supplements. He was writing short stories and novellas so mm-hmm. you can you can do things in a short story that wouldn't work very well in a role-playing game or you can do things in a short story that you can steal for a role-playing game uh-huh, there we go and that's exactly what we're going to do so let's jump into this and i'm going to talk about the first one which i'm a fan of called the thing on the doorstep so i'm just going to read you literally the first paragraph from the short story what's the story about Quote, it is true that I've sent six bullets through the head of my best friend, and yet I hope to show by this statement that I am not his murderer. At first I shall be called a madman, madder than the man I shot in his cell at the Arkham Sanitarium. Later, some of my readers will weigh each statement, correlate it with known facts, and ask themselves how I could have believed otherwise than I did after facing the evidence of that horror, that thing on the doorstep. End quote. I mean, Go come on. on. Come on, come on. I mean, that's, that's a pretty awesome start to a short story. That's a good All way right. to start. Six bullets into the head of someone. Uh, he's obviously, like, in jail or something, writing his last statement. And this story, uh, as we find out, is about 
the, the narrator is Daniel Upton. He's an architect. An upstanding gentleman. You know, really contributes to society. Yep. Sure. And his friend, Edward Pickman Derby, who is a poet and child prodigy. Um, he's not as much of an upstanding gentleman in many ways. Uh, he's very sedentary. And uh, yeah, Derby, he's, he's quiet. He's a young man. Uh, he's actually eight years Upton's junior. And Upton has to bail out Derby in, out of trouble in a lot of different situations. Now, as they grow up, uh, at age 38, Edward is still partying with the kids over at Miskatonic University. And uh, when he's here, going to many parties about black magic. Are these eats. are these keggers? Are these frat parties? Yes. Tell me, tell me about these parties yes. that they have at Which Miskatonic is, Well, University. I mean, it's all very vague, because... Lovecraft isn't big on specifics a lot of the time. But also, uh, I'm not sure Lovecraft had ever gone to a party. <laughs> uh, did he ever drink alcohol? I don't know. He was a teetotaler, I believe. I'm almost positive he did not drink. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Whatever. That's cool. But he's a weird dude. Read his biography sometime, or just his Wikipedia page. He's a he's he was a an interesting fellow. fellow. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Isaac's there. That's a raging black magic kegger. Sure. As you do. Uh, he meets a young lady, Asnith Waite, with whom he's quite taken. Chig. But Upton, the architect, uh, narrator of the story, finds out that people are pretty frightened of her. Uh, in fact, her father, Ephraim, uh, is a known wizard. Everyone a, knows it. That, I mean, it's just a thing that happens. Yeah. This is 1920s Massachusetts. Yeah. There's lots of wizards running I'm, around. You know, I'm here in... Uh... 2017 Massachusetts, and I've run into at least four wizards on the street. Yeah, and we also walked by that Reiki place. We did. Yep. Father was a known wizard, and she is uh, a witch herself and is practiced in the dark arts. And they all descend from the decrepit town of Innsmouth, of which we've heard many strange and blasphemous rumors. So, anyway, Derby and Asnith, they they, they get married. Uh, did I say blasphemous rumors? You did. <laughs> <laughs> and now the song is in my head. <laughs> oh, man. It's a good song. Um, and yeah, so, uh, Derby and Asmith get married and they move to the outskirts of town and they go increasingly isolated. Uh, Asmith, uh, is almost never seen and many times when Derby is out driving, he has this maddening, angry, out of character look about his face. And as, uh, Derby recalls, uh, or as Upton recalls, of Derby. Derby never learned to drive. Well, then no wonder he has that weird look on his face. He's yeah. concentrating super hard on, yeah, you could know, be, could be, okay. not driving into the ditch. Yeah. Clearly. So, uh, yeah, Derby and Upton, they meet less and less. Derby's conversations also hint at a fear of his wife. Fear uh, of his wife? Of his wife. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, not a good situation. Yeah, yeah. She is not what she seems. So... Anyway, Upton is later uh, called to pick up Derby, uh, who's been found in Chesson Cook, Maine. Is that a never, real location? I've never been there, but probably is. Lovecraft's, most of his locations are real, except for, like, Arkham and Innsmouth. Um, and uh, he's found rambling incoherently. On the trip back, uh, Derby tells of Asnith using his body and suggests that uh, it is, in fact, Ephraim, her father, who resides in the body of Asnith. Whoa. Chesson Cook is a real place we have just found. And before finishing, as a small seizure rapidly changes personality, hmm. uh, asking Upton to ignore 
what he might have just said. So that's weird. That's all. That's all quite strange. Sounds so, like he needs a, a vacation, or perhaps a Snickers. Well, he was just on vacation in Maine, and it, it didn't work out for him. Um, so a few months later, Derby shows up at Upton's door and says that he's found a way to keep Azneth away, to stop her from using his body. Uh, Derby finishes renovations to his old family house, yet seems strangely reluctant to leave the Azneth old place. Uh, Upton receives a visit from Derby, who begins raving about his wife and father-in-law. Upton gets him to sleep, but as Derby uh, is taken, and has Derby taken to a sanitarium, of course, in Arkham. Uh, the sanitarium calls Upton to uh, tell him that Derby's reason has suddenly come back to him. So again, a rapid change in personality. Uh, though, upon visiting, Upton can see that it is not the true personality of Edward Derby. Who he's mm-hmm. known for many years at this point and would just know. Exactly, exactly. Days later. Upton's roused from his sleep by a knocking at his door. A rap-rap, three and two strokes. Upton, of course, knows that this is Derby's knock. But he opens the door to find a dwarfed, humped messenger concealed under Derby's large coat, carrying a letter from Derby himself. He recognizes the script. The letter explains that Derby had in fact killed Hesineth and buried her body in their cellar. Despite this, Azaneth, possibly using Ephraim's soul, managed to take control of his body, Derby's body, after the death. And when he was taken to the sanitarium, meaning that this thing on the doorstep was actually Derby himself, inhabiting Azaneth's putrefying corpse. The note implores Upton to go to the sanitarium and kill the body of Derby who has now been permanently possessed by Ephraim's soul, the way he imagines the original Azimuth once was. Upton does so. He puts six bullets into his friend's head. Which brings us back to the beginning, the opening paragraph. Oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah, okay. So it's a pretty cool story. It's a good one. It is a good one, though... Not one of your favorites, eh? Not one of my personal favorites. Okay, I like it. Well, so one of the reasons why I like this story is that it's actually very good at foreshadowing uh, a lot of things in Lovecraft's universe. So he writes all these short stories, which are all interconnected uh, with different elements, monsters, deities, high priests of evil, darkness, and the like. So one of the things that he hints a lot about Innsmouth and uh, the, the, the blasphemous rumors that occur there. Now, <laughs> the um, cool thing is that it, it actually gives you a lot of uh, ideas for how you can foreshadow in your own game and kind of bring up these little elements that may occur later on in the story if that's the way that your players take it. So I think that's pretty interesting in that way. Um, it is. It is. Uh, it's, uh, Lovecraft is, was a master of the interconnected world. Um, he reuses place names and people names and all that stuff all the time. Um, so it's, it's not just, um, that he uses everybody's name John Smith, but, you know, this, uh, Asenath Waite is related to the Waites of Innsmouth, who, uh, have their own story, and, uh, the Waites of Arkham. And uh, this uh, Pikmin is related to the Richard Pikmin in Pikmin's model. 
and he's related to the Dreamland stories, and it's all interconnected. It's all a very small universe, while still also being a huge cosmic universe. So cosmic horror, it is which a, Lovecraft invented. Another cool thing is just this whole body swapping concept is really fun to play around with in a role playing game setting, allowing you to surprise players with this you know inscrutably mobile adversary. You can move around between different bodies, very agile, and in fact just killing the body doesn't stop them. So it's really cool, uh, and you could actually really mess with players by when they actually defeat an adversary, they kill its body, uh, one of the players could be possessed by the uh, the dead erotic corpse of uh, the, the previous um, possessed body, possessed corporeal form. And this is really fun because you obviously the players want to you know, stop this. You know, they want to get the uh, other player's body back. But it also lets you play around with some of the other uh, templates uh, that are that are in the game, like the Risen uh, from either Wraith or Hunter. I mean, you could probably do something with uh, Geist the Singers as well in this sort of situation. True, so, but I would I would caution against that in a lot of groups because I mean, nobody likes having their their, their PC stuff, taken stolen. Away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Understood. No, nobody enjoys that. I mean, you might have to. Talk to that one player. Sure, you'll, you're, you're going to want to. You're going to want to get enthusiastic consent yeah. before you you pull this. Oh, hey, your you know, your awesome um, werewolf is now possessed by the worm creature that you were fighting earlier, and you're in a little schlubby uh, corpse that has like three weeks before it rots away. Good luck. Yep. But it could be a cool story, uh, and definitely, actually, for a one-shot or something, that would be pretty sweet, too. Oh, sure. Yep. So, a lot of cool stuff. And then also just, like, you know, the, the college parties they were talking about, how they're doing black magic, maybe not fitting all the time for the World of Darkness. You could probably have some fun with that. Um, definitely in one-shots and that sort of thing. Uh, there's also an encounter here that we didn't really talk about that Derby relates uh, about his bizarre... Uh, this ritual, this cult that he encountered up in Maine, where he saw this this you know black ceremony going on, these shapeless, ever changing forms, tentacles, and all these other things. Uh, it can be very inspirational just to read through that. Uh, something to convey to your players for a crazy cult situation. Now we all know that the elder race did not bring Shoggoths to Earth. That is that is just written in stone. It did not happen. I don't know what he thinks he saw but it couldn't have been what he he's describing. No, surely not. So he's been drinking heavily that night. Yeah, it could be. Could be. That's... With that black magic kicker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is my favorite Santana song. <laughs> so, Jake, want to talk about Pikmin's model I do, bit? in fact, want to talk about Pikmin's model. Okay. It's, it's one of my uh, two favorite Lovecraft stories. So, uh, in it, a World War One vet and a Boston resident... Oh, quite fitting, quite fitting. Uh takes an interest in a macabre artist named Richard Upton Pickman. Um, after Pickman is kicked out of the Boston Art Club and shunned by other artists for his photorealistic paintings of graphic violence and uh, terrible horror scenes. So he's a Chronicles of Darkness artist. He is in fact a Chronicle of Darkness artist, okay. yes. Yep. Uh, the narrator, uh, by the name of Thurber, arranges a personal tour of the artist's secret workspace, uh, where he has canvases even more disturbing than those that got him booted from polite society. Uh, so, he arrives in uh, the north end of Boston, and Pickman proceeds to lead Thurber through a 
kind of semi-quasi-gallery. It's not really set up like anything. It's just a place where he stores his uh, more outre paintings Mm -hmm. uh, through a gallery of cheap, crumbling rooms with uh, each one filled with more horrific paintings than the last. Uh, The paintings depict scenes of Boston uh, from prior to the Revolutionary War being overrun by witches and strange human-dog hybrid creatures. Um, As the pair proceed deeper into the rooms, the scenes shift to a more modern for the time, and so this would be the 1920s scenes, uh, with the same creatures lurking in cemeteries and subway stops, which I haven't seen a lot of subway stops in Boston. Is that a thing that still exists? Yeah, we have tons. Okay, I just Uh, missed them. They they were there, actually. The the red line was all underground. We actually had the first completed underground subway in the world, I I believe. Uh, Or maybe just in the United States. I think the first one might have been in Budapest, Hungary. Now I know. Yeah. So anyway, um, these paintings depict these same strange creatures in the modern nights, uh, preying on and devouring unwitting humans and other horrific things, stealing babies and replacing them with their own horrible baby spawn things. Mm. Uh, so as they get deeper and deeper, while they're looking at a work in progress uh, of one of the hideous creatures, suddenly there's a crash in one of the previous rooms, which Pikmin, armed with a revolver, goes to investigate, leaving Thurber alone. Uh, Thurber sees something folded at the bottom of the canvas and goes to check it out, when suddenly he hears the gun going off, like emptying all six rounds, which is one of three stories in the Lovecraft uh, mythos in which somebody empties all six rounds of a revolver into oh gosh. someone. What's, what's the third one? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> There's only three. Check Wikipedia. Sure. Uh, so what he sees and hears sends Cerber fleeing back to the prosaic safety of uh, his more familiar world uh, with a new fear of underground areas. For what he for what he uh, saw folded there in the corner of the painting, wasn't just a background study photograph that Pickman had taken, but a photograph of one of the man-eating ghouls <gasps> from real life. It's real. It's real. Oh no. Oh my gosh. So, how can we use this in the world of darkness or the Chronicles of Darkness? Well. The ghouls, because that's what the little dog-human corpse-eating hybrid guys are, mm-hmm. are basically every world of darkness splat. They are a hidden society of creatures with fairly disturbing habits who exist in modern nights and kind of, you know, stay out of the way of mainstream society. Okay, so yep. they just want to eat their corpses. And they just want to eat their corpses, be left alone, drink their blood, you know, protect their cairns, whatever. Yeah, okay. Call it whatever you want. What would a Garu or a Kindred or an Awakened Mage, how would they deal with a kinfolk like Pikmin or a ghoul or a mortal, someone who was tangential to their existence? But also could reveal everything. But also could reveal everything. Oh my gosh. Gotta get rid of them. They're loose ends. They're loose ends. Do you though? Do you have to get rid of them? Or can you use them as, Mm. you know... To fictionalize, perchance? Maybe you could be Dracula. Maybe you could stokerize yourself. Stoker. Mm. 
It's all just fiction. Exactly. This isn't real. It's just kinky sex metaphors. Right. It's just be afraid of the foreigners metaphors. Exactly. Uh, well, definitely in Lovecraft. That's that 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 is not even uh, subtext in Lovecraft. Nope, nope. That is that is text. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> that is super text. <laughs> um, so, like Mike was saying uh, about uh, the thing on the doorstep, um, it's a very interrelated world, and uh, the artist Pickman, who doesn't show up after he goes off gun a blazing in this uh, story, does reappear later in another Lovecraft uh, story, The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Now. In the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, which is one of the Dreamlands stories, so it's kind of in the mythos, but kind of not. Pikmin has died, but he has become a ghoul in the Dreamlands. So he's kind of had a... not really an apotheosis. He hasn't become a god or anything, but he has kind of changed into a creature of the night. So you could take, like I said earlier, what what do you do if your ghoul or your sorcerer or your kinfolk is on the verge of revealing you even tangentially to the mortal world? Well, he could die in scare quotes and you could embrace him. Yep, yep. Or uh, this whole story could be read as a uh, kind of a failed awakening where... Or another mage could banish him to some far-off umbral realm. Well, what I'm saying is, if we if we take it as a mage story, uh, Pikmin awakens and becomes, mm-hmm. a, becomes a ghoul. That's his, you know, mm, that's his yep, split. Yep. He awakens and he turns into one. But he sees in Thurber a, a, a fellow traveler of the Dark Path. Uh, he sees that maybe if he pushes Thurber just a little bit, he too could tip over the edge, say, you know what? Corpse eating. That's a path I'm cool with. Yeah. For immortal life and health and all that fun stuff that comes with it. Yeah, I'm in. So this whole story could be seen as like a failed uh, entry point into the, the, the dark world for Thurber. Mm-hmm. It just, Interesting. Instead of instead of saying, "Yeah, I'm totally into that," he went a little crazy and ran like a, a little scared chicken. Yeah, there's a really cool mage book, mage novel, Jake. I know you're shocked. You're shocked. No, no, no. Predator and Prey Mage is interesting because I'm going to spoil it right here. It's been out for over 15 years. It's okay. The uh, main character of the story is like about to awaken. He's very, very close, but the ending is that he turns his back on it. Okay, well, he walks away. That is yeah. exactly what happens here. The uh, character who could have been inducted into the secret rites, the, the hidden mysteries, decides no, yeah. no. I thought I was, I thought I could hang with the big dogs, but no. So, Changeling, my favorite game line for those who are just joining us, are basically built this way. Uh, they are all about inspiring creativity and harvesting glamour from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so if you look at the um, ghouls as beasties or maybe a certain dark kith, um, maybe like a red cap or a slua, something along those lines, uh, then yeah, they're just they're just harvesting the glamour from this artist. And eventually it turns out, oh, hey, he crystallizes and also becomes a fae. Yeah, this is a great guy for Redcaps to hang out with. That, that right? definitely makes sense, yeah. I like it. Huh. 
All right, very good, very good. So, so you mentioned earlier Innsmouth. I did. I call it Innsmouth. Innsmouth. Yeah. Well, there's an, I mean, it's spelled Innsmouth. So you call uh, it, it whatever is, you but, want. Uh, you're, so, you're the local. So, you would so know. Portsmouth mm-hmm. has the same M O U T H. You mean Portsmouth? Yes. I'm pretty the sure Ports, it's Portsmouth. Portsmouth. I'm pretty sure is indeed pronounced Portsmouth. Why is it not S M I T H? Because it actually is from the British Mouthport, Portsmouth. Portsmouth. So, yeah, eat, eat the microphone, Jake. People can't see that. You're making me having to edit all this stuff out of this episode. <laughs> this is why we you don't normally guy. record with cameras on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, let's talk about The Shadow over Innsmouth, which I think might have been the first uh, Lovecraft story I ever read. And it's a good one. And it's quite... Uh, Quite long, so this is going to be a bit, a bit of a lengthy introduction here, summarization of the plot. So the narrator of The Shadow Over Innsmouth is exploring the antiquities, architecture, and genealogy of New England. He's trying to find out stuff about his old family and that, that kind of thing, you know, because that's what 21-year-olds used to do back in the day in 1920s New England. Yeah, because they didn't have the internet, so nope. what else are you going to do? Exactly. So this takes him to an old fishing town shrouded by superstition and distrust, and blasphemous rumors, Innsmouth. Innsmouth is a crumbling, mostly deserted seacoast fishing town full of dilapidated structures, and people who look just a bit odd, and who tend to walk with a distinct shambling gait. All of this is unsettling to the narrator, who describes the citizens as having the Innsmouth look queer, narrow heads with flat noses and bulgy, starey eyes. Do they have thin lips and dark skin as well? Because, wow. They, 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 they do have swarth, a swarth to them. A swarthy tone. Yeah, I, I think that's a word that Lovecraft likes to use. He does. A lot. It might be the first place I encountered the word swarthy. Yeah. So... You want to talk about this right now? Super text. Yeah, super sure. text. Well, yeah, it's pretty much just like Lovecraft um, wasn't really like a a good progressive person, even for his own days. He was yeah. pretty pretty regressive in a lot of ways. Really had a fear of foreigners overall, or people that weren't uh, as basically white as he was. Yeah. So if you weren't Lily White, then uh, Lovecraft was not a huge fan of you. Like, he surprisingly married a uh, Ukrainian Jew, but uh, was... And remember, in the 1920s, Jews, not white folks. Yeah, but he would... That's pretty much what I was about to say. It's just like, ooh, I don't know. She's not white enough for me. That sort of thing. How'd that marriage work out for him? Not well. Yeah. Really not well. So anyway, that's the story we're getting into here. But don't worry, guys. It's, it's still kind of cool. It's interesting. But just kind of know, like... If it seems kind of weird at points, uh, he was a weird dude with, uh, you know, very old-fashioned views of things. So anyway, he does find one person in town that's normal and just as white as him. So Normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's actually the young clerk at the first national grocery store. And uh, he's actually, you know, from neighboring Arkham, again, the uh, kind of made-up fictional town. And he points into a good source of information, an ancient man named Zadok Allen. Is it Zadok? Is that how you pronounce it? I always pronounce it with a, with a long A, Zadok. Yeah, okay, we can call it Zadok. I don't know. You never made a pronunciation guide. 
I mean, you pronounce it Cthulhu, I pronounce it Cthulhu. Which is the right pronunciation? Well, it's between a ch and a th, so Cthulhu is the correct pronunciation. Cthulhu, yeah. No. Yeah, it's, it's Cthulhu. Gesundheit. <clears throat> Sorry. So, anyway, uh, the narrator hears uh, about Zadok Allen, and, uh, you know, he goes and plies him with a drink, gives him some whiskey, and the narrator hears repeatedly that non-natives are never welcomed by the native Insmithians. And that strangers, particularly government investigators, have disappeared when they pry too deeply into the town. Upon finding Zadok and uh, loosening his tongue with some whiskey, the narrator hears a tale of fish-like humanoids called the Deep Ones, who live beneath the sea. It seems that they bring prosperity in the form of an excellent haul of fish for the fishermen, as well as uh, fantastically wrought gold jewelry uh, to those who offer them human sacrifices. Because, as we all know, things are much better down where it's wetter. Under the sea. Okay. Uh, and uh, the villagers, uh, of course, because this is so great for them, they just start to mate with the Deep Ones, and their hybrid offspring have the appearances of normal humans early well, in life. I, I, I don't think it's because it was so great for them. I think well, that, well, was, I, that was their half the of story, the deal. The story continues. Okay. The story continues. They look normal and human early in life. But in adulthood, they, they slowly transform as they are drawn to ancient cities under the sea. These fish-frog men were first discovered in the West Indies by a native island tribe, which was itself found by an Innsmouth merchant named Obed Marsh. When hard times befell Innsmouth, Obed and some followers did what they could to call up the fish frog men in their New England town, causing an increase in the town's wealth, of course. He also established a church in honor of the Deep One's deity, called the Esoteric Order of Dagon. However, Obed and his minions were apprehended by the authorities, and the remaining Innsmouth residents balked at the idea of sacrificing humans to the Deep Ones. However outraged. The Deep Ones attacked the entire town one night, slaughtering more than half its population. The survivors were left with no choice but to, than to offer human sacrifices to the Deep Ones. After seeing strange waves approaching at the dock, however, Zadok becomes frightened and tells the narrator to leave town immediately because they have been found. Unfortunately, the narrator is like, all right, better get out of town. Getting kind of awkward here. Also getting kind of late. And, of course, the bus out of Innsmouth has broken down, in quotation marks. And uh, the driver, the aptly named Gilman. Because <laughs> they're fish people. His truck crap is subtle. But he won't be able to have it fixed until tomorrow. So the narrator has to go and stay at the inn, known as the, the Gilman Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he has to stay the night in this musty place. While attempting to sleep, he hears noises at the door, as if someone is trying to enter. Wasting no time, he escapes out a window and through the streets, while a town-wide hunt for him occurs, forcing him, at times, to imitate the peculiar walk of the Innsmouth locals. Eventually, he makes his way towards some railroad tracks, 
where he hears a great many creatures making inhuman sounds passing on the road before him. He soon hides and resolves to close his eyes, having at this point come to accept the idea that Zadok's story is true. He cannot keep them closed, however, and upon seeing the fish-frog creature in full light for the first time, faints. I've been really, really scared of things before, but I've never been pass-out scared. I don't know. It's a, it's a Is Lovecraft that a thing, thing that happens to people? I Listeners, have you ever been so scared that you literally lost consciousness? Please let us know. Please let us know. So, anyway, the story finishes off... And it's kind of weird and disjointed, but basically the uh, narrator convinces the U.S. government that monsters are real, and they send the army to Innsmouth, and they uh, they burn it down with flamethrowers. I believe they send the Marines, because it is a naval operation. Sure. Uh, they do have a submarine which torpedoes the fishmen that are under the sea. Under the sea. But then, as the narrator studies his genealogy further, he realizes that... He is related to the marshes, and that he will become a deep one. And that's how the story ends, with him hearing the call of the sea. So, Shadow Over Innsmouth is awesome. It's a very good story. A it lot really of cool is. Stuff. It yeah. is. I, I was making fun of, of Mike's retelling of it, but it is a very good it is. story. Um. And it's actually a great adventure structure to be emulated. Uh, it's emulated in a lot of Call of Cthulhu adventures for that game system, but it's very easy to use uh, similar things in the World of Darkness, where people just end up in a town. They're just like, oh, we're just going to check this out. Heard some cool, crazy stories, and then they're trapped there. And then, because they found out too much, the townsfolk are trying to get them. Uh, it's actually very good for Promethean the Created. Uh, having an arc like this where people the Prometheans just kind of roll into town, uh, you know, on their pilgrimage, on their journey, and they find not just that the people in town don't like them, as tend to happen, as tends to happen with them, but there's also quite the bizarre cult here that uh, may need to be stopped or just avoided. Uh, it's your choice as to how you want to deal with them. Uh, the cheap ones, of course, are very good direct adversaries, but uh, the Innsmouth villagers are very much more in a, a kind of a gray area. You know, some of them can be, you know... Are they, though? Because you said they were totally down with human sacrifice. I mean, it was at the it was at the point of a gun. Sure, sure, sure. In the beginning. And aside from the narrator's mom or grandma who ran away from home, they, they seem to be okay with it. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean that... Uh, so, clearly, their forefathers have done some terrible things, but maybe there's just... You know, again, like uh, the narrator's mother who ran away, maybe there's one that's trying to get away or trying to prevent themselves from being turned into this fish-like creature who's immortal and stronger than a human. And lays eggs, I'm assuming? No, because they have 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 offspring with people, so... I mean... Anyway, so so maybe someone doesn't want to be this sort of a uh, 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 sea creature. And maybe they want to be a land mammal. Uh... This could be very interesting to explore, you know, trying to prevent it, uh, this transformation and maybe Mage the Awakening, which might require mages to go, say, spelunking into the supernal realms to find an ancient grimoire used to create the Deep Ones in the first place. And also, uh, let's not forget that the U.S. Army, or maybe the Marines, uh, destroyed a town 
you know, they used flamethrowers, submarines, you name it. The military-industrial complex spared no expense. Uh, Innsmouth could be an interesting cautionary tale in your game. Uh, what happens when the creatures of the night become too overt? Well, then you get Vampire 5th Edition. And uh, yeah. they have a new Inquisition. They do, they do. Um, I mean, that always kind of existed a little bit in... Like Project Twilight, and that sure. Sort of the Center for Disease Control that we're tracking the outbreak of uh, strange bloodborne illnesses. Yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. But now it's they're making it much more overt and widespread. So I want to see what it turns out. I really don't want them to like brand it the Secret Inqu- the Second Inquisition. Yeah, that is that is a horrible name for yeah. the organization. That... I, I forgot to actually put this in my playtest review response to them, but. Uh, spy organizations usually don't like to brand themselves, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. not something they're usually into. They, they kind of try to be under the radar. If anything, they'll use a three-letter acronym. Yeah, definitely. CIA, I mean, FBI, NSA. Second Inquisition makes more sense as like uh, something that really super old elders, you know. Yeah, sure. That, that might be what they call it. Would call it amongst themselves, but, again, but it's not what the organization would refer to. Those kinds of elders as. really aren't in the setting as much anymore. Yeah, they all went. Yeah. To Mesopotamia. See how this or doesn't something? make sense. I don't remember mm. where the elders. Yeah, they're in, they're in like Mesopotamia. Okay, you're right. And that is the shadow of Innsmouth. So it's a cool story. Definitely, definitely check it out uh, if you want to read it further and really get into the darkness it had. Yeah, like like I said, I no story is perfect, and I did make fun of the plot summary that Mike gave, but it is it is a very good story mm-hmm. despite its many obvious, sometimes racist flaws. Cool. So, so now for my second dive into the Lovecraftiana. Um, I would like to discuss The Whisperer in Darkness, uh, which is my absolute favorite. Well, no. It's my absolute favorite fairy tale told by H.P. Uh-huh. Lovecraft. Interesting. So, to give you a quick overview of the plot, um, the story is told by Albert Wilmarth, who is a literature professor at Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts. When uh, local newspapers begin reporting uh, strange things discovered floating in rivers during a horrible historic flood up in Vermont, um, Wilmarth uh, becomes involved in a controversy about whether or not these sightings are real. Um, He believes that people who claim to see, you know, basically Bigfoot-type creatures and giant crab monsters and stuff floating downstream Mm -hmm. after a flood. He's like, no, that's just people up in the woods who have too much time on their hands, too much imagination. Mm -hmm. No way that's a real thing. Um, So after a few letters back to the editor, back and forth, uh, because that's what people did in the 20s when they weren't researching their genealogy, um, he receives a letter addressed to him from one Henry Akeley, ah. a man who lives uh, alone in an isolated farmhouse uh, somewhere near Townsend, Vermont, which I'm given to understand at the time was I've, fairly I've remote. There. I've been there. Is it still fairly remote? Uh, we have a dam there, so maybe. I don't know. Okay. I mean, New England is pretty densely populated overall. There's some parts of Vermont and parts of Maine that aren't like populated that much, well, but this most is of in it Vermont. Is. So, yeah. And the story 
goes out of its way to describe how remote it is. So maybe just his farm. He's on a big plot of land up there, and he's all alone. Um, and he tells Akeley that he has proof that... I'm, so, I'm sorry, he tells... Uh, yeah. Akeley tells Wilmarth that he has proof that will convince him that uh, these things are real. They exchange letters writing back and forth. Um, the letters include a long transcript of uh, some strange alien race uh, chanting with uh, human agents uh, who worship uh, strange uh, elder gods like they name drop Cthulhu and Yarlathotep. Okay. The uh, agents, the human agents, learn that uh, Akeley and has been having this correspondence and they intercept his letters back and forth and they begin harassing him. Uh, so Akeley gets some guard dogs to protect his property. The poor dogs are killed. It's very sad. I, I think it might be the only mention of pets in a Lovecraft story that I can think of. And they die. It's very sad. What about in Dreams in the Witch's House, there's that rat with a human face. Is that a pet? I... That's more of a familiar, however, now that you mention it, um, no, because uh, uh, it is said that in Ulthar, no man can kill a cat. So, Mm, okay. Anyway, uh, so they, Akeley and Wilmarth continue writing back and forth. Uh, Akeley's letters are getting worse and worse. He's clearly on on the edge. He's going to have a nervous breakdown. It's, It's not going well for him. Then there's a long pause in communication, and Wilmarth gets a typewritten letter from Akeley. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because normally all the letters have been handwritten. Yeah. This one's all typewritten, and it's a whole new tone. He he says, I was wrong about everything. Come quick. Turns out these are some super awesome dudes, these aliens. Uh, they have opened up my eyes to the real world of... Uh, the greater cosmic community and it is super awesome and you need to come up here and you need to meet them and you need to understand how great they are. So. Sounds promising. Yeah. This is uh, great, actually. Will Marth decides, hey, I got some vacation time here at the university. I'll go up and visit my friend in. Oh, yeah, a sabbatical. Well, I mean, he's just taking a week or something. He's not going on. Oh, like, okay. A month long. He's, he's going to New Hampshire. He's not going to. Research you know, trip? Like Texas or yeah, anything. Sure. It's just right around the corner. So. Uh, he gets there and he finds Akeley all bundled up in his little cabin, just you know his his hands protr- and his face protruding from this this uh, hor- this little shawl that he's hiding in because you know he was doing poorly. That's why he had to switch to typewriters. You know he he couldn't he couldn't write anymore with a pen. He's right, but you know before the stunning realization that these were actually cool dudes from outer space, he was he was not doing well. They have a, a long chat there in the darkness in the fireside, and poor Akeley can barely raise his voice above a whisper. It's so awful. But he tells him of all the, the wonders that he's seen and how these creatures from beyond can take the brain out of your head and put it in a in a cylinder, and they can carry it into the stars with them. And he has, you know, several visitors from other worlds there in his home with him in these little brain cases, and they hook one up, and he learns about all kinds of fun and exciting stuff and um, he suggests that uh, Wilmarth should go with him on a trip to Yuggoth in a brain case. Yuggoth of course being where these strange creatures come from. 
Wilmarth is listening, but he's not not totally convinced on this whole take so, my brain out. Let's it, do a little role playing here. You're the crazy guy. I'm the professor. Uh, so do, do you have to do you have to do surgery and like remove my brain? Oh yeah, yeah. They take it. They take it right out. Like, like with uh, you're, you're gonna you're gonna like cut into my cranium and remove my brain. Well, yeah, but this is super advanced surgery from beyond the stars. They've been doing this for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Well, they how many times have they doing. done it on humans? Like I mean, every anatomy is different, right? No, 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 no. They they have it down to a science, an exact. Do they science. put it back? Are you gonna put it back? How can I trust them to put it back? Well, I mean, your body's going to die if there's not a brain there to tell it to breathe, right? I mean, they don't yeah, just take your conscious mind. They take your entire brain. But it's okay because they can hook you up to all these machines that you can still see and smell and touch and taste and feel with. Okay. It sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Though. And just think of everything that you'll be able to see and experience, you know, things that man has never seen before. Man hasn't even left the planet. We've barely discovered airplanes. We still have zeppelins. And okay. I could see the stars. You could see Jupiter and go hang out with the dudes from there. You could go see the sun up close and personal. We just discovered a new planet, Pluto. Could I go there? It's called Yugath, and yes, you could. Oh, wow. That's, That's where we're going to go. That is 100% where we are going to go. You and me and my buddy, the uh, space fungus. So we're in. So... um. But no, uh, Wilmarth is a little put off by this and says, well, let me let me think about it. I'll, I'll get back to you in the morning. Um, so uh, during the night, he hears a conversation outside uh, with several voices that are just strange and buzzing. And he goes downstairs to investigate and he finds that his friend Akeley isn't there anymore. But in the corner where he was sitting in his chair all bundled up in his robe, he finds the robe and a very, very realistic set of prosthetic hands and and a mask. And those aren't prosthetics. That's his friend's face and hands. So, yeah, the fungi came and got him in the night sometime and took his brain and put it in a jar and skinned him and made him into a puppet that they were controlling the entire time. Yeah, I got it. Oh, man, that's that's a serious one, Chick. That's So, yeah, it's basically a, a fairy tale in that the characters discover a race of non-human sentients who uh, invite them into their world, but in accepting that invitation, they lose their humanity. Sounds quite fitting for the Chronicles of Darkness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, fairy tale, changeling, the lost. Changing, it is. It is very, very, one hundred percent a perfect um, origin story for your character from Changing the Lost, mm. or uh, for Mage the Ascension. This is your awakening. You go up into the woods to uh, meet your friends, and it turns out that your avatar decides that hey. You need to awaken now. So he takes the shape and form of some weird creature from beyond the stars. And now you have some weird, you know, my blood is part alien because I've been kidnapped by aliens and experimented upon with their crazy advanced surgeries and stuff. And that's how I am. That's that's not magic. That's just super advanced alien technology. Yeah, certainly, certainly. 
I'm not sure how to use it as a werewolf story or a vampire story, but if you have any ideas, Mike, I'm listening. The only thing I can think of is hmm. that uh, the fungi from Yuggoth would make great antagonists for a werewolf game as they tend to go to more remote locations for their weird mining operations, which is why they were on the planet to begin with. They were here for some ore that you can't get, apparently, anywhere else in the solar system, Mm, which is not a thing that actually exists in real life. But hey, for the purposes of a game, yeah, they can't get this unobtainium. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can see that a little bit. So um, you know, it could be a really funky way of a vampire feeding. Um, oh yeah, they're they're not weird little hairy crab dudes. They're just gangrels who have frenzied far too many times. Yeah, yeah that could be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking more simply about a, a way to get people like a, this. This this Akeley character is a ghoul uh, who attracts people to their master oh, uh, through these fantastical absolutely. stories. And yeah, maybe it's a venture with a bizarre feeding restriction that sort of thing um you can only feed on people who argue in the um editorial pages of local newspapers that is a horrible horrible feeding restriction in this in these modern nights oh it's terrible but he's got it well what if does it count if they argue on reddit no because it's Mm. very specifically it has to be in the printed media they have to do handwritten notes they do not typed non-typed oh my gosh yeah Okay, Chick. Andrew is very hungry, you guys. <laughs> uh, all right, Chig. So let's wrap this up. Lovecast is pretty cool. It's interesting. You know, he's, he invented a lot of uh, different storytelling techniques, uh, a lot of cool mythos creatures, uh, which can be very useful for games, and really just made a lot of impact on horror stories overall. So he's definitely someone to check out if you haven't read his works. But also, I believe there are ways to listen to his works as well, aren't there, Chick? Absolutely. One of my uh, favorite podcasts that isn't Darker Days Radio, of course, Mm. is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Mm. Uh, It has been around for ever and a day. I've I've listened to it before. Um, I think it's been around since 2009. It's hosted by two gentlemen named Chad Pfeiffer and Christopher Lackey. Um, they have long since run through literally every story that Lovecraft wrote. They have a at least half hour putt episode over every short story, going into details, ex- uh, examining the characters, motivations, uh, all kinds of fun, exciting stuff. Um, and they have since moved on to uh, some of the authors that inspired Lovecraft. They've gone back cool. and cool. Uh, done some Lord Dunsany works. And have, they, have they been able to cover any of the stories that uh, he worked on with other people? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like um, the Mound. Houdini? They absolutely did at least two episodes on um, In the Tomb of the Pharaohs, yep, or yep. I can't remember the other name it was published under, but yes. Uh, the Houdini uh, one, as well as the three he did with uh, Zelia Bishop. Oh, yep, yep, yep. The Mound. That's where uh, the, the y- Curse of y- Yig. Yig. Yes. Yep. Uh, they did at least an episode on each of those. Um, I highly recommend you check out uh, the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast if you have a chance. Yes. Right. Um, they have since gone to a paid subscription model since they completed Love all the Lovecraft stories, but all of the Lovecraft stories are still available for free if you just want to go back and listen to those. And you want to go back and listen to those because they are super great. Excellent, excellent. 
Yeah, definitely good stuff. So I think that pretty much uh, wraps up this episode right here. Uh, thank you, Chig, for sneaking into my, my apartment somehow and uh, giving the do. listeners this this great episode right here. Um, so if you want to get in contact with us, you know, drop us a line. Uh, tell us how to uh, expend our podcasting resources in the uh, coming months. Definitely send us an email over at darkerdaysradio at uh, gmail.com or uh, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. Uh, we also have a Twitter account, which is at darkerdaysradio. And then we, of course, have Google+. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And hey, maybe you'll be able to find one of us again on uh, Shadow and Essence before too long. Yeah, I'm posting on there a couple times. It's good stuff. Anyway, Chig, thank you. Listeners, thank you. And thank you for having me in your lovely home, Mike. Oh, no problem. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.